Welcome back to Together for the Bluegrass, which is an online ministry of the Central Kentucky Network of Baptists. We exist to connect, equip, assist, and support the local Baptist churches of Central Kentucky. For more information, you can visit our website at www.cknb.org. All right, well, welcome back to another episode. My name is CJ Pierce, and I am again joined by David Barron, my co-host. We're continuing uh, kind of the theme of our conversation from the last episode, looking at different uh, contexts of revitalization in church planting. And today we are joined by two special guests, uh, Nick Sandiford and Randall Combs. And uh, we're excited to get to talk to you guys. Uh, I kind of want to just dive right into it. So if you could each take just a minute, tell us a little bit about yourselves, the context that you're serving in. Uh, and maybe like how you got to that point. Okay, so my name is Randall Combs, and I'm currently the uh, pastor of the local church in Georgetown, Kentucky. And uh, we planted uh, in Georgetown back in, I think, 2021, uh, and officially um, became part of the KBC just about a month ago. So Yeah, the last uh, KBC meeting, right? Yes, yep, yeah, just the last one. So uh, a little bit about me. I'm bivocational. Uh, full-time, I am a police officer in Lexington. I've been there about 19 years. Felt called to the ministry uh, about 10 years ago. Had the opportunity to serve in different contexts, youth pastor, associate pastor, and whatnot. This was certainly my first time planting a church, so we definitely learned a lot there. Uh, but uh, it led us to Georgetown because that's where my family and I were living at the time. And um, I guess we'll get more into the way we do church a little later on. But uh, we are a house church style, house church model of a church. And um, that is uh, has a lot to do with, I guess, how our church has evolved to where we are today. So that is uh, that's kind of how we ended up in Georgetown and in the model that we're in now. Okay, awesome, Nick. Well, hey, my name is Nick Sandifer, and I pastor at Porter Memorial Baptist Church here in Lexington. Uh, I've been here for seven and a half years. I was at the Kentucky Baptist Convention before that, and the Lord moved in my heart, uh, moving me away from consulting, which I was doing at the time, back into the local church. I've been in some form of ministry now for 35 years. Wonderful. So, Nick, you your church was re- recently recognized at the KBC for some revitalization efforts, right? And then you also hosted the revitalization conference here at Porter. Uh, we got to attend that, and that's kind of what spurred on last episode and this episode. That's right. Was, that was a really great thing, and we wanted to do some follow-up talking about uh, pastors and, and church members that are involved in that work. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey with that as far as like revitalization? When, when you got to Porter, was it a conscious effort, or is it something that organically started happening? Well, the Lord, I think, orchestrates all things, and he sure. definitely orchestrated uh, the path of my life. And every place that I've ever been has been in need of revitalization, and he gives us all in different ways. And I guess the way that he has gifted me and given me eyes to see the church is uh, I can see what a church can be uh, and what a church uh, I'd like to say should be. Uh, And um, that's been my experience from my very first church when I was uh, my first senior pastorate was when I was 21 years old. It was a revitalization effort. And every pastorate that I've been a part of has been a a situation that needed, uh, uh, you know, some CPR, I guess, sure, that, yeah. that's been struggling, something that has been great, should be great, and could be great, and the Lord's given me the opportunity to be a part of that, and, um, you know, I don't, I always tell people, I don't know if I know how to handle a church that's operating smoothly and well. <laughs> I think there are a lot of pastors who are better than that, <laughs> but I can pull, I can see what could be, and God has gifted me in that. 
Well, yeah. I, I think one of the questions that I think a lot of people think of. So when when I think of Porter, and I, I know where you're, where you maybe kind of were, and where you're at now. So right now you're running about what 900 people. No, we're running about 1,250 a week. 1,250. And when you first started here, you were 750. 750. And so when you when we when people most of the time think revitalization efforts, they they're thinking, hey, there's 25 people in a church. The church is about to close and its doors are, you know, the door, they're going to be gone in, in three months or six mm-hmm. months or three years. Yeah. And, you know, then you hear, well, Porter's gone through revitalization. Well, they had 750 people in attendance. Right. How's that revitalization? And I, I think it's an important distinction to help people see that, to not say, well, oh, that's not revitalization, because I think it is. They just need to understand yeah. where you were at and, sure. and what was going on. Well, one, I would say I've been in all of those situations. I've been in the church of 13 that should, at one time was running 150 mm-hmm. i've been in a church that was running 150 that at one time was running 350 yeah uh, and this was a little different context but in many ways it was the same uh, you had a group of people who were incredibly loyal to a church that was one time a lot larger it had built out a, a structure that was really demanding on its um, budget really demanding on its staff and then it really didn't have the volunteer base to pull off the program that it had built out through the years. Mm. And then even the facility, uh, the, you know, at one time the Porter was like a flagship of yeah. Kentucky running 16, 17, 1800 people every Sunday. I think their highest average for a year was like 1680. Oh, wow. And that was in 2002. And so they lost almost a thousand in average attendance over the next 15 years. And so, uh, they had a desire to uh, relocate, bought a large piece of property, and the church needed to. They were out of space. Uh, But some things happened, and uh, and those complicating factors led to a split, and they lost almost 500 in average attendance in one year. Oh, wow. And then that, those realities started causing suffering on a lot of levels, even to the point where the facility that they had planned to sell was no longer worth much, yeah, uh, because it was in such decline. Yeah. So when you come to a when you come to a revitalization effort of that, so when you look at the small church, and since you've been in both, and you've been in you know the small context, you're in a large context now. What what skill sets are different in in this context of of you know revitalizing a church that was running 750? Yeah. That's different, you know, because. There's a there's a lot bigger structure. You know, you go to one that's 25, yeah. and it, typically you're by yourself, and there's probably nobody else on staff, and you've right. got to be a, a generalist in in many ways, and have your finger everywhere and doing everything. And now you're not necessarily doing everything, but you're managing differently. So, what's the different skill set that's required in revitalization in a church that's that large? Well, I think there is some administrative needs, but the basic skill set I see for revitalization is you have to have eyes to see what should be, and I think that you need that in a church of 13 or if yeah. you need that in a church of 700. You have to have the eyes to see what should be, could be. You also have to have relational skill. What I've found about revitalizers is they almost all have some relational skill where they can lean into the people who still love and who are incredibly invested and who have sacrificed their money and their time. Mm-hmm. And, and and you have to be able to lead them because in many ways they don't even know they're in that big of decline that was probably different at porter than at my first church you, you go to a church that's 13 and the building is empty yeah there's urgency yeah if it's sister act you know that you're yeah. dying yeah. you know i mean you know uh and 
when you come to a church like this and there's still 700 people, you don't necessarily understand that reality unless you look under the hood. Yeah. Or you looked in the hallways where we had buckets catching the rain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know Gary, I'm reading a book right now. There's hope for your church. As a matter of fact, I was texting CJ last night. It's about, you know, church revitalization and, and the processes that go through there. And, and one of the chapters he's talks in there is about vision and understanding you know you you've got to know as a pastor and you've got to pray for vision and you've got to make sure that you're following god's design and god's vision for that church and because without that then you know it's it's kind of uh somebody would say it would be you know you shoot for the shoot for the moon and you land in the stars kind of deal Mm -hmm. well unfortunately you know you don't if you don't have a target and you're shooting for it, you're going to land somewhere, and typically it's not where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And so trying to make sure that your church understands this is a target, this is where we're going, this is where we're being, and casting that vision mm-hmm. um, and and helping them see the reality of where they're at. Because yeah. you're right. I mean, even at that large, it, like there's there's a chance for you to come. If, if you're one of the 700 members, you can come, think everything's fine, go in day, day in, day out, and you really don't understand yeah. all the dynamics that's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, well, and store blind's real. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you're just so used to things, you don't notice the hole in the drywall in the welcome center. That's right. And you're so used to, you know, that, well, there's a pew broken, but it's not really that, that big, big a, deal. a deal. Right. And you just, you lose sight of that. Where a first-time guest, that's what they see immediately, or an outside pastor, they see that immediately. Yep. And so that's, uh, I, I think, th- that incrementalism of slow change to help people who don't see it is really important. You've got to be able to, willing to to do some slow change there. I mean, there's cancers that you have to deal with, like, and you got to deal with immediately. I didn't experience much of that here at Porter. And I just want to say here at Porter, I experienced some really strong disciples. They had some really quality leaders through the years, but just some dynamics happen that caused aging and slow steady decline yeah i think one of the things gary says in that book is also is when you first show up you've got to you've got to have some small wins and got to create some sort of momentum and so even in a facility like this you know just freshening up a few things changing fixing that broken pew Mm -hmm. doing a few things giving the people some hope especially if they're you know in a in a congregation at large a lot of those 700 like you said as a core group they remember those days of running you know 1600 you know 1200 1300 whatever the number may be and they 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 want to get back to that they want to continue to see hey we want to still have that kind of kingdom impact and so to create that momentum for them to say hey man there there's some real change going around and i think that's one of the uh, key elements that you all have done here you know as i've watched over the years I've, I've been in central kentucky my whole life i've been in and out of porter for as a youth when there was other youth events happening here and and those things and seeing the changes that have happened um you know early on you've created a lot of momentum by we're gonna we're gonna you know we're gonna change this and we're gonna renovate that and we're going to move here and, and you've you've created a sense of momentum there uh, in the facility and then within the programs i think you've you made some you know small mm-hmm. achievable changes let me um, let me cut in here for a second so uh nick as as you've been going through this process you i'm and obviously other churches right you've taken through this process is there any advice that you would give um to pastors specifically in this context lexington the city um, anything that you've picked up that is maybe more specific to this area that would be of help to them, something to be thinking about, somewhere they could be engaged? Uh, that's a great question. Um, specific to Lexington. And maybe not super specific, but just something about this context, because it's different than rural ministry. Yeah, right? it, it absolutely is di- different from rural ministry. Probably one thing I would tell people is you have to embrace who you are. And, you know, I can't, you know, I mean, Southland's an in, in 
instrumental uh, part of the Christian fabric here in in Lexington. Porter can't be Southland. Right. They couldn't try to be Southland. Right. Porter has to be. We had to do what we do well, mm-hmm. uh, and you have to embrace that. I would tell somebody in my experience in uh, revitalization is realize how God has made you what you're good at and capitalize on that. And we had some things we were incredibly good at that predate me and have been baked into the DNA of this uh, congregation in its entire 115 years. Capitalizing on those things is one of the things that I would tell them. And, and you know, the comparison can really be detrimental for uh, wins if you start comparing yourself to something that's not attainable from where you are. And revitalization to me is a lot more uh, – it's different than church planning mm-hmm. in the church planning speedboat in in nature. I mean, you're shifting, turning immediately. You make a thousand decisions a week, and they're all different. And nobody cares in revitalization. Everybody cares, and so the turns have to be uh, uh, gentle in nature. Uh, you might know that they're going to be drastic in outcome, but you have to understand that the people with you need to be on the change curve with yeah. you. More incremental. That's, that's right. Yeah. More incremental. And so I okay. would say, especially in Lexington, because you've got educated people who are in a town uh, where they are used to be uh, you used to be being heard mm-hmm. and uh, and not just being told. Yeah. You know. And so yeah. I would I would just tell people if you're in a revitalization effort. Make sure that you keep people on the change curve with you and don't throw them off. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. Well, and then, you know, so to kind of move into that church planting aspect, you know, so when you get over here, Randall, and you're, he's talking about the speedboat and the changes and, and making decisions and things going like, you know, let's talk about that from your perspective as a, as a church planner in a house model. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, could, obviously that's that's quite different. I was going to uh, say, could you take could, a second yeah. and explain the house? Yeah, yeah explain I, the house model. I don't think that there could be a, a, a bigger polarization here from what we're doing versus what Porter's doing. So we're... We're we're about thirty thirty five people uh, right now, but our uh, so our house church is um, we meet we have a primary location that actually is just a uh, a big garage uh, that there in Georgetown that we uh, my it's actually my father in law owns it, so we first started meeting there regularly until we built kind of a core group, um, and then here within the last four or five months or so. Uh, we've been giving people the opportunity to open up their home, and we've been having church. Uh, we we meet for there for service, so um, that's kind of what it looks like right now. And yeah, it is it is one hundred percent right about making decisions. Uh, you know, sometimes we're flying by the seat of our pants on uh, how things are going. I've had people call me and like, hey. Uh, we can't do church at our place tonight because the AC broke. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, well, I've got like two hours to get out to people that well, we're going to meet tonight for church. So uh, it is very different than in a traditional, you know, Sunday morning church setting for sure. What yeah. was it like starting a church, planting a church in 2021? Because that would that would have been pretty close to the heat of yeah, COVID still, right? And, and then we started, we were kind of in our... Uh, I would say a major planning stage in 2020 when COVID started and it kind of delayed things a little bit, but, um, yeah, we were, we were at a loss because when I first started out and we were looking at church planning, the house church model was not on my radar. Uh, we actually were really concerned with, with, is this going to work out now? And it was through some people at the KBC. I met with uh, Hobe and he connected me with some other pastors and he, Hobe was actually the first to mention, uh, consider maybe at least starting out as a house church model. And this was kind of in the beginning of COVID churches were still shut down for a lot of parts. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
so I started thinking about it. I'd never been a part of it. Started kind of reading through some uh, some books about people that had done this. Some over, I guess it was more popular in Europe here recently, and then now it's kind of picking up here back here uh, again. And then I got connected with a uh, pastor up in northern Kentucky, Mark Jones. He's pastor of the Living Church, and they do exactly what we're trying to do in Georgetown. So reached out to him. He invited us up to come. Uh, we went to one of their house church gatherings on Friday night, and uh, for us, I took some of our leaders, and for us, that was the affirmation that that's, that's at least the way that we're going to start out. Uh, and it made things a lot easier during COVID. You know, we didn't have to worry about finances and where we're going to get a building. And it took a lot of pressure off me, especially being bivocational and having a very busy job already. It really took a lot of pressure off me that, you know, we're going to do things really simple. And uh, that's exactly the way it has been. It's been very simple. Uh, some nights, you know, we, as far as our worship, is you know one of our guys playing the acoustic guitar and singing a song we we've actually resorted to like you know youtube uh before if we didn't oh, have yeah, anybody yeah. that could sing that night yeah, so. cj's familiar with that <laughs> yeah, so, so i've been so, down that road uh, we've been very resourceful at times but um but yeah it is uh that ultimately i think the lord uh it almost used covid to open my eyes to this other there's another way that uh, made life actually a lot easier for me, not having to worry about finances, finding a building, keeping up a building and things like that, where we're just now uh, using our homes. And then, you know, we're giving people the opportunity to use their use their homes for as a tool for ministry. And, as, and some people, they've really enjoyed, I think, opening up their homes to people. And it's certainly a different environment in a, in a house. And, you know, we say 30, 35 people. In a big church, that would be very small. In a house, uh, it could be kind of chaotic. I was sure, going to say, sure. so, so how <laughs> <laughs> So how does that scale, right? Okay. So let's say you get 40 people, 50 people. What, uh, what do you do at yeah. that point? So the next step, we do have a, uh, we do have a plan, uh, and it would be to grow out into another house church that would be uh, preferably in another neighborhood within Scott County. So right now we kind of function um, – in a couple neighborhoods that most of our visitor or most of our members live in, uh, but ideally uh, would be the next person. We have an associate pastor uh, that we ordained a while back, and um, if things work out that way, then ideally he would be our next house church pastor. Um, but right now he's renting; he doesn't have a place yet. So we're kind of looking at you know how what doors the Lord opens for him. And then we would send some with him to kind of start his, start the fellowship over there. And uh, we don't have the need right now to bring the house churches together because we haven't split off yet. But uh, the way Mark taught, the way Mark showed me how they do it is they bring, I think they're up to like five or six different house churches now. And they every two weeks, they bring all five or six house churches together on a Sunday morning for a celebration and he said that's not he's like it's different than your typical sunday morning because it's not it's not aimed at evangelism that that their house church is the evangelistic model they're using but it's more of an equipping and a celebration of the leaders and things like that that's going on in the church so he said that if you come on a sunday morning there it will look different than if you went to church on a sunday morning because it's not it's not really designed for the first, you know, first-time visitor that way because he wants to promote people. Hey, invite them to your homes, and then that's the way we get people plugged in. And so, so they come together. You said every two weeks. Was that every two weeks or every two months? So the way Mark said that the, the way they are now, at least the last time that we talked, was that they come together every two weeks. They meet 
the house churches meet Friday nights for the most part. Okay. And then they come on a Sunday. They come on Sundays every other week. Every other week they come together. Yeah, okay, together I got you. Have like I got you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where I was trying to figure out how that looks like because that, that seemed – I thought maybe they come together every yeah. – if they were always meeting on Sunday mornings, but they're meeting right. on a different night. Correct, so yeah. yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah, then. they meet and, – and they do alter theirs a little bit. I think they've got one on a Tuesday night. It's just for people's sure. schedule. Uh, but uh, most of theirs, I think he said, meets Friday nights, and then uh, they have specific Sundays, usually every other Sunday, where they have a Sunday morning celebration for all the house churches to get together. And that's kind of the way they keep everybody connected, because they are almost like five or six individual little churches, mm-hmm. but making sure that everybody stays connected that way. That's awesome. So how did you end up pursuing, or what encouraged you to pursue affiliation with the KBC? Why did you see that of value? So, um, <clears throat> well, first, um, I had met a lot of people along the way that were KBC pastors that were part of the association that had been very instrumental uh, in helping me. Uh, I'd been on staff at some churches that were KBC churches that were members of the Central Kentucky uh, Network of Baptists. So it was kind of almost a uh, a natural flow for me to want to be a part of that. Um, and I think without it, you know, especially doing what we do now, there's a, there's a lot of people that, you know, they don't necessarily even know that our church exists in Scott County because we're not really advertising. Uh, we've actually kind of wrestled, you know, with advertising. You, are we ready to advertise? If a lot of people show up, I don't want to, you know, are we overwhelmed? <laughs> yeah. Is there enough couch space? So, yeah. Are we overwhelmed? So that, that, that's that's kind of something that we're playing with. Yeah, but, brother, I had 55 in my house for Thanksgiving. There, so it can be done. I can under, it, it can be done, it can but be I done. can understand the chaotic nature <laughs> like, of oh, what that uh, looks like. I mean, I'm like, please, uh, will the floor joist hold and not everybody's <laughs> exactly. going to wind up in the basement. Exactly. So, yeah, I we, get it. We're waiting on the neighborhood and start complaining about parking and <laughs> i mean you're liable to take a nerf dart to the head from one of the kids in our service it's pretty it's pretty common something like that happens but uh so but for us and especially being different in the model of church that we do uh, i think without being affiliated but without being a part of this association and a part of the convention it, i for me it would very much begin to feel lonely mm-hmm. like you know you're isolated you don't have a support network so um, that was a big part of it. And then obviously the resources that they have to offer very, very big. Um, uh, the, uh, the chance to go to the uh, conferences with the spouses. My wife always loves the, the Shepherds Conference with the spouses and things like that. So it's mainly the, the fellowship the, the, um, and the resources and the things they have to offer that brought us to want to be a part of the kbc and the association yeah i'll I'll help you out here um since you're new to the since you're you know quote unquote new to the to the (laughs) kbc it's called cooperative program program. (laughs) Uh, matter of fact i i was i had lunch with a pastor just the other day and he um you know came from a different uh state and you know is now pastoring here in Kentucky, and and uh, the, really the whole reason why is like he stumbled upon the cooperative program uh, in his state, and you know started calling around asking like, hey, how do I get to be a part of this cooperative program? And he said his first phone call was very short, and the the guy was like, and and he, I think he called somebody at one of the seminaries or something, and and the guy's like, yeah, just be part of our church. And it's like, hey, or you know, be, be a southern, be a part of Southern Baptist Church. Is that all you need to know? Okay, thanks, bye. And he's like, that was the shortest phone call I ever had. And he said, so then I had to figure out how to become part of a Southern Baptist Church because I really believed in what the cooperative program does. Absolutely, uh, I was seeing the benefits not only for the local church but also international missionaries and all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, man, the, the those kinds of, you know, people say, why do we, you know. It, 
it sounds cliche it you know when you, when you hear it all the time but you think do you really you know but yes we are better together absolutely and that's just you know well and i think i mean just look at this table right now i mean they're you know the, the contexts are worlds apart but oh, also the, the models are worlds apart and yet we're in the same network <laughs> yeah. of churches yeah. right yeah exactly. so better together but not not necessarily better because we're all the same that's right exactly that's right and that's one of my concerns when i put you guys together called you both instead of said then asked you to come sit at the table together i was like well i don't want to pit these guys against like they're you <laughs> no. know we got one that's running you know twelve hundred people and one that's running thirty people. I mean, you, the church has grown ten times the size of the number of people that that's attending your place, right? Yeah, we, and, yes. and yet, there's a dynamic for both. That yeah, there's a reason absolutely. God has planted both of those churches and put them in the context of where they're at. Mm-hmm. And so you you don't say, well, this one's better than that one. No, this is the this is what God has planned and where God has put a church. And this is the dynamic that that you're going to accomplish and you're going to accomplish His will in your area and in your context. And so you know. I, I've told many guys before, just because it, you know, you saw some guy on television uh, lead a worship style. I, I'll tell, I tell this story quite often when I'm doing uh, talks with um, revitalization or whatever to some some churches. Um, I know a guy in a different denomination that literally, uh, like, he would see something happen on TV, and within a couple of weeks, like they were implementing it at their church. Mm-hmm. You know, because this was a superstar pastor, you know, influencer, whatever you want to call it. And I'm like, hey, you know, you realize that your church is called to be your church in your location, not that church from that, that you know, state here in Kentucky. Yeah. And so it may look good. It may work for their church. I'm not even saying what they're doing is wrong. But most of the time it's wrong. Um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, but hey, just be be faithful to who God's called you to be in your context here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, that's I think that's an important thing to say, hey, look, yeah, we've mm-hmm. got we've got them running 35. We got them running 1335. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, and I think, I think it also highlights um, the Lord's ability and desire to work differently in different places. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, we. That's something that we certainly thought about, and one of the big things that we wanted to, I guess, to highlight in our services was a, a community, and that we have heard that from a lot of people that you know that they are they're knowing people on a different level. You know, we've got families that didn't know each other before now are having dinner at one another's houses. They're watching one another's kids. They're doing date nights where they take turns watching other kids, you know, things like that. So that's kind of what we wanted to foster, especially coming out of COVID when everybody seems so, you know, alone and disconnected. We thought that this model would be a way to kind of bring that community and, and you know, have people to have a real support network. And uh, we've actually ran into a lot of people. They're like, that, you know, that's so progressive and things. And I'm like, really? It's really old. Like, <laughs> acts too old. <laughs> so it's really old. Progressive. Yeah. That's hilarious. It's, so, it's yeah. So one of the things that we that we want to try to accomplish with this is we've talked a lot about pastors and what they can expect or some of the challenges or some of the things that are going on. Or, But when we, we really want the regular church member, like, hey, when it comes to planting a church or being a part of a revitalization effort in a church, as as a church member, what should they expect? What should they do? How can they be involved? What's the you know what's that dynamic look like for them? Because you know we we think that it's not right. It's not just the leadership that's involved in yeah. these things. It is the body that's involved in them. And so, how can they as a church member be an effective uh, part of the of the ministry when they're going through those contexts? Yeah, I would say for me just. 
a member needs to have a heart just to follow the Lord's leading to be a part of his kingdom's expansion and whatever that looks like, whether it's in the church plan or whether it's in a, a home network or whether it's in a revitalization network, churches that are impactful have people who are excited about what God's doing. And what I found when I came into Porter is I found a whole bunch of folks who wanted to see God move. And it wasn't just to fill their pews. They give money to uh, the cooperative program. They're giving money to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. They're uh, giving money to partners that are even outside of our networks so that they can see the gospel expand. And so I think a member that has a heart to say, whatever the Lord wants me to do, I will do for his glory. And I, to me, that's that's what it takes to have revitalization in any congregation. You have people who say, we'll do whatever it takes. We're, we're actually getting ready to take over a church where a church um, went under, uh, and they're, they're no longer functioning. But one of the beautiful things in the DNA of that church is they said, our building is going to be given that's right. to the ongoing kingdom work if we can't do the work. Yep. And so they've given it to us. Uh, to the Central Kentucky Network of Baptists, who in turn is giving it to us, yep. and we are sending people down there with a pastor with the hope that they become their own church. Yeah. And that's awesome. and that's what I see in the DNA of our people, is it's we're not just trying to hold on to who we have, uh, we're trying to do something for the glory of God. And I think if you have that type of heart as a member, revitalization will happen, in whatever form God wants it to happen. Yeah. No, that's so good. Uh, Randall, what do you think as far as it, when it comes to church planting, looking at it from a different yeah. perspective? So from our context, um, we took, uh, we had a core group probably of 10 when we set out to do this, and I tried to make it very apparent that this was going to be a, uh, a joint effort and a lot of work on everybody's part. And, uh, you know, for the most part, everybody everybody understood that and jumped right in and uh, have done more than their fair share getting this off the ground and helping me and being a sounding board for me and encouraging me when things weren't going the way that we thought it was going to at times. Um, and for us now, you know, for as far as membership in our church goes, uh, one of the things that I do, because I tell them, hey, listen, we're not we're not advertising. You know, we're not on a billboard. We're not we're you can't drive by our church and see a sign. So I said, we, we rely on you to invite people. Mm-hmm. So I'm you. Just reminding them, celebrating that, inviting people, getting people to come, uh, and then afterwards, uh, once they're if they're coming, then we give them the opportunity to to be an active part. So, like for example, tomorrow night when we meet, uh, we've had a new family come. Uh, they've been there. This is, they've been coming for about two months straight now, and they asked last week could they host church Friday night. So they're it's kind of those steps to where now they're going to open up their home to the church and. Uh, we give members the opportunity to do that, to to play host to the actual, you know, the church service and uh, be able to use their home uh, in a way of uh, being hospitable and as a tool for ministry. It sounds like both of you guys really, if you were to distill it down, you're getting at that the the member is participating, not just consuming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. 100%. Yeah, we, yeah we, we couldn't survive with uh, if they were all consumers for sure. Yeah, yeah and in a program-driven church like Porter, you couldn't do program without lots of volunteers, and it's still word of mouth. No matter how much you advertise on social media or any other platform, at the end of the day, church revitalization or church planning happens uh, successfully because people who are in the church love the work and they share what God's doing in their work. Yeah, I think one of the, the social media posts that's been going around quite 
a bit lately if you if you they talk about you know people who attending church and and they give the percentages you know if if the pastor invites somebody it's like they're six percent likely if this person invites somebody it's this percentage but if they're asked by a friend they're like 80 some percent likely to come and be a part or and stay at a church and so the participation on the on the church's side you know hey members it it is you it's Mm -hmm. it's not the staff the staff can only reach so many but when we come together you know again you know we're we're better together as a as a as a network or as a you know as a convention we're definitely better together as church members and so when we can come together we can reach one of the things and i I went and grabbed the book real quick it said um they were talking about change and one of the things it says here in the book is um perhaps church members and leaders begin to understand the impact on the church of what the desired change is uh, about to happen and then they begin to resist that change um it says, for example, the people may say they want to grow. However, when people begin to recognize what growth means, um, they begin to push back uh, uh, and put roadblocks basically in for all the possible changes. It could be changes to worship style, changes to the sanctuary. And, and I wrote down a whole list. I'm like, uh, is it the outreach? Is it the, you know, at what cost are we really willing to grow? Is it, you know, well, I'll, I'm willing to grow until it affects how I have to spend my time, my talents and my finances. And, you know, even when, uh, you know, well, I don't want to grow beyond uh, our church to grow beyond 50 people mm-hmm. in your case, because then I don't kn- I don't know everybody that's there. Right. You know, I don't want my church to grow beyond, you know, 150 people because I can only know 75 and I, I feel or I don't want to I don't want our church to grow because, uh, you know, we're going to change the pews to to chairs if we get too many people in here, you, you know, or we're going to do those things. And, and so really the the comment there is trying to help people understand hey at what cost are you really willing to impact the kingdom are you are you saying look i don't want to impact i'm going i'm willing to impact the kingdom as long as it don't cost me my pews as long as it don't cost me my worship style as long as it doesn't cost me the friends that i know or i can recognize or the amount of people and when you start putting in that context it really begins to challenge them because none of them will look at you and say well i only want the kingdom of god to be so small <laughs> because it's really and so they'll they'll push back and so i think for church members i always encourage them hey put it all on the line yeah. everything you know, your times, your talents, your finances, your your preferences, because you're here to impact the kingdom. And that's what if God wanted it done some other way, he'd have done it some other way. But he said, no, I'm going to do it through the church. That's how I'm going to impact the kingdom. I'm going to do it through the church. Mm-hmm. And so those are um, I, for me, that's something I really want to keep at the, the forefront of, of our congregation. Yeah, members. the why is big enough. The yeah. what can happen. That's right. You just got to have a big why. That's right. And, um, you know keeping the kingdom of God in front of folks is is vital for leadership whether it's in a church planning given your home or whether it's in a traditional church it's revitalizing keep the why uh, as the main focus yeah that's good stuff a uh, good place to end Randall did you have anything else you wanted to add to it before we wrap up here uh no just appreciate the opportunity uh, like I said it you know I think we were uh, we were a bit concerned when we started out this way that with uh, that we may be an anomaly in the KBC and the way we're doing things. But you know we've been we felt very supported and certainly with the association has been a big support for us from from day one. Uh, so we're just thankful to uh, to have the opportunity to get together and to to be a part of what the association and the 
KBC is doing. So if more people want to find out about the local church, where do they go? So we've got, we're on social media. We've got a Facebook page. Uh, you can like that. Uh, we have a group that if you like the page, we can get you in our private group, and then we kind of keep announcements there. Um, and then also uh, we are in the process of getting a website. We don't even have a full website yet. So, um, But social media, Facebook's the best place to find us. Just type in the local church, Georgetown, and we'll pop up. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, portalmemorial.net, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we don't use Twitter uh, much, but uh, you can find us on those. All right. Awesome. Good deal. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. Thanks for hey, having thanks, us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. This is CJ. And I'm David. And you've been listening to Together for the Bluegrass. Together for the Bluegrass, which is an online ministry of the Central Kentucky Network of Baptists. We exist to connect, equip, assist, and support the local Baptist churches of Central Kentucky. For more information, you can visit our website at www.cknb.org.